uh, today we're going to uh, continue in um, what we were, what we've been working on for a number of weeks now. It really has to do with um, being a spiritual people, being the gospel people. <clears throat> There's many elements to being the gospel people, and I want to invite Nathan up for. Uh, he's going to give us a testimony. I think it'll be on this mic, Kim. If you, uh, he and the teens went for a treasure hunt last week, I believe, and uh, and then they did some relief work in the flood uh, stuff from yesterday. So if you could take a few minutes and share those things. Yeah. So um, just real quick, what a treasure hunt is for those of you who don't know is um, you go out into the community and you seek God's wisdom and guidance for. Uh, other people and what to pray for them, and you offer people prayer. Um, a lot of people are taken aback by this random act of offering prayer, and you know sometimes you get turned down, which I kind of find hard to believe, but sometimes you get turned down, but a lot of times people are really receptive to it too, more than you would think actually, and um, you can have some really powerful stuff happen. So uh, we took six teens out into the community, we started out here, we prayed for God's guidance, then we went out and we um, offered prayer to people, and every one of them got involved. I saw some teens that were doing this for the first time that I really wouldn't have expected to step out. They were stepping out as they were led by the Spirit. And um, uh, we had just we just had people feel blessed. We had one lady, um, we got done praying for her, and she was like, oh, I got chills, you know, and then we had... Um, some other people that were just so um, just so blessed that we'd stop and pray for them. We have uh, one teen that's fairly conversant in Spanish, and we came across this uh, couple that only spoke Spanish, um, and he was able to pray for them in a way they understood. So um, they really appreciated that. They thought that was cool. And uh, um, we had another another group had a very specific word from God on a very specific person that they were going to find at Starbucks. And he was there, which so they were really excited about that. And then he had been, he had suffered multiple heart attacks in the last two weeks, mm. and they offered him prayer over that. And so that was really cool, and he was really blessed by that. So that was the treasure hunt, and and we're trying to teach these uh, teenagers to do the stuff of the kingdom, to do the stuff that Jesus did, and in, in both the supernatural and being naturally supernatural, and being practical as well. And part of the practical stuff of bringing restoration. Um, is being there for people when they're hurt and down, like the the flood victims on Holiday Lakes. So yesterday we went to Holiday Lakes, which if you don't know, it's a little town northwest of Angleton, and it's just been completely devastated by the flood of the Brazos River. Uh, I don't think there's a single building in that town that didn't get water in it. Um, some houses you still can't get into because of the water. So, but the houses that you can get into for the elderly and some of the people that aren't able to, you know, uh, do as much on their, do as much work on their own, we were there to help them gut their house, get the furniture out, uh, get the sheetrock out, get the insulation out, and basically get it ready for a uh, rebuild. So uh, we worked in that yesterday, and um, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan and who our neighbor is and how how we were kind of living out that scripture yesterday. So um, we're, we're having a lot of fun in youth group living out the kingdom life. 
Thank you. Good job. <clears throat> we have a connection at Holiday Lakes. If you're interested, there's still lots of work to be done. It's a way for really us to participate in a very practical way. Father, thank you for this morning, what you're doing, what you've already done, what you've already initiated here this morning, and where you want people to be in the next 45 minutes here. Over the last few weeks, we've been really sharing on sin. Uh, I know that's kind of a, a, a bold statement. I heard someone last week say to me, maybe you should use the word iniquity. Kind of a nicer, gentler word, I guess. Um, so, or, you know, whatever word you want to use, it's sin. Uh, and sin is really something that's opposite of or contrary to the purpose, the character, and the will of God. And as uh, I won't go back but and review this, but just so you understand a little bit of a context of where I'm coming from, uh, back in the first part of the year, I, I had this dream from God about not being ready. And I, and I felt like the, the Lord has really been working with me in this understanding of being ready and, and getting ready for what he's doing. And one of those things was really had to do with sin. It, it had to do with sin being kind of an uncomfortable topic. It, it's one uh, I think the church struggles with. And I know that the world struggles with the church and the, and the church's view of sin. I think the world is not you know, blind to the idea that the church has this view of sin, but they live pretty much like everybody else does. And, of course, it really makes us look hypocritical when you have a scenario like Orlando and you have church leaders coming out saying, this is a good thing. And I just, I just want to share with you, just so you understand my view, it was not a good thing. That was sin. What happened there was sin. And, and although the scripture takes a biblical view um, that, that puts homosexuality as not a godly lifestyle, it does not call us to condemn anybody. It does not call us to be the, the judgment people over anybody at all, ever. That is never our role. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you where it looks like it could be our role. And that's among believers. That's among people who are inviting you to be a part of their story. You know, our leadership team has a full ability to correct me or at least wrestle with me. And I with them. But there are other people in this room, they don't want to hear from me on, hey, you know, is that a great idea? What, are you judging me? No, I'm asking you if you think that's a great idea. Maybe that's a cheesy way of saying, do you think that's a godly idea? <clears throat> you know, we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. 
which is just opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to just carry out your good intentions. And I, I think we just overlook this fight. We act like it's not there. And, and I think the intention of us really talking about sin is really threefold. One is, I don't think the church has prepared, I don't think the leaders have prepared the church to really fight against sin in our own life. I think we're ill-equipped to go up against the sin in our life. I think that's a disservice that we've done. And I think we've made sin about judging one another when we all suffer from it. And, and so, really, the idea of being critical of sin, the idea of, of being um, judgmental of sin is for me to look within you see, it's the practice and the process of me constantly looking at me, not looking at you constantly. And the idea that, that sin is not a tolerable part of the church. I think that's the greatest misunderstanding of the church. It's because we're saved because as the, as the word today, God does not come against all the sin of man because he loves us. But that is different. And, and let me explain how and why that's different. That is God's response to our sin is, number one, he withholds judgment of us. That's a good thing because we'd all be dead and the room would be empty and, you know, animals would be moving around or something. Number two, he extends kindness and patience and the call of his heart instead of judgment. So you see, it's this one-two punch. He's withholding judgment. He's holding it back. And number two, he is sending to us calls of grace and kindness and patience drawing us to him. So you see, that's God's position on sin. It's contrary to him. He realizes that's our condition. His position is, I'm going to withhold this judgment. I'm going to extend favor and grace. I'm going to come after them with the things of life. Now, I can do this. Wow, God isn't beating me up on sin. He still wants to favor me. Therefore, I'm not going to beat me up on sin, and I'll just receive the favor. And we'll just be the church that sins and gets favor. And the difference between the world and me is that I get favor in my sin and you don't. But we know there's something wrong with that statement. So you see, where it falls, it's like this. God has invited us, has called us into his kingdom. And we don't even have an example of how this works. And here's the reason why. If I go to a really, really, really incredible church, which I do, and then God moves me to another church, which is, wow, an even more incredible church, but I still see things that maybe we did better. 
you know, the way we used to do it, it was like this. It really, I think, worked better. Or maybe I go to a terrible church, and then I go to a great church, but I still think there's some things we had right. You see, I think we enter into the kingdom with this mindset that I, I can have and should have a voice in kind of how it goes. I, I want to have a say-so in me. I want to have some place of decision-making for me. And God says, Bill, you misunderstand. This kingdom is perfect. You need to be here to receive the kingdom. You need to be here to embrace the kingdom. You need to be here to learn of the kingdom. You're still evaluating how you can improve the kingdom. You're still thinking that what you're bringing to the kingdom, you know, we got a place for it. But God says, that's not so. What, what has happened is I have invited you in. I have paid the price for you to be here. And it's through my power that you become a part of this in every way. You see, now you're going to see in this message, the work begins for me. In the scripture, we see and, you, and see the language that sin wars against us. And you see, we're going to have to get to the place where we war against sin. It is my conviction that much of the church is really, by and large, neutralized because we just... We're just compromised by sin. We're compromised by sin. We'll see what that looks like in a minute. Paul shares, and Jeff shared this last week, Paul shares this reality for many of us that sin, that I don't want to do, I do, and then the righteousness I do want to do, I don't do it. And this strange paradigm that seems to be, I'm going contrary to the very things that I really want. And you have to look at that and you have to go, that's messed up. There's something in that that's messed up. You, you, gotta, you can't stop at that. You can't say, oh, that's nice, and you turn the page. You keep going. There's something in that statement that requires our work. It's saying that somehow I'm being overpowered. That something is going on, and I'm losing and it really reveals it. It's all happening right here. This is where that fight is happening. Last week, Jeff shared. I'm, I'm not going to spend any time. I'm just going to conclude some things. We're going to go over five things that really make sin a struggle for us. One is spiritual laziness. I, I think we can struggle from a spiritual laziness. Um, most of, according to records, most transformation. Most change happens in believers in less than the first year. And after that, there's just these incremental changes, most of which happen out of crisis. All right, so we, we make the changes that we, we can make, but when it comes to these tougher changes, after we're beat by those a number of times, those kind of get 
pushed down underneath, you know, we're kind of walking a little different. Those are the unmentionables. Uh, those are just the cross I bear. And then we start leaning into, well, I'm a work in progress, I think is the language Jeff used. You know, we're, we're, we're working on it. We're, you know, we're forgiven, not perfect. And lots of language that we use to describe the fact that there's places where sin has beat us. I believe most of us underestimate the cost of allowing sin to remain. I think there's a great cost. I just think it, we're oblivious to it. I'll show it to you in just a minute. And I'll give you the third reason that we're lazy, and that is fighting sin is hard. It's a, it seems like a hard, relentless battle. It's hard. And I think we're just, hard is hard. Who wants to do hard? So spiritual laziness. Here's the language that you will see if you start looking at what to do with sin in the Scripture. You use the language, of, it says, throw it off. It says to fight it. It says to persevere against it. It says to resist it to the point of shedding blood. This is the language the Scripture is using to describe the fight you're in. It's not saying, well, God loves you and we love you and that's the way it should be and we lock arms. It says fight the sin, resist the sin, persevere against the sin. And, and so it's in this language that we see from the Scripture, it's telling us how to respond to sin in our life. Not how you respond to sin in my life. How do you respond to sin in your life? And then he covered last week rebellion. He shared with you out of the scripture where it says that rebellion is the same spirit as the spirit of witchcraft. And how most of us would never consider ourselves rebellious if you're not a teenager anymore. Somehow adults are not rebellious. I don't know. Uh, how's that possible, you know? In other words, we're always obedient. I always follow the rules. My boss would say, totally obedient. Excels in his obedience. But the truth is, we rebel against God. We rebel against his authority. We rebel against his word. We, there are moments we don't want to do it. We say, I can't do it. I can't forgive that guy. I'll never forgive that guy. I'll never do this. We, we have this language that is just, here's what it's really saying. In this, in this scenario, I will be God. God, you're not God in this scenario. In this scenario, no forgiveness. In this scenario, we're not doing that. I'm doing this, and I have the right to do it because he did that. And God says, really? So there are parts of your life where you're going to be God. Do you see why it's like divination, witchcraft? Rebellion makes us proud, and it says God resists the proud. And God will not compromise who he is or who you are. He won't do that for anyone. He's the, he's the potter, we're the clay. 
And as much as we want to turn that around sometimes, there's this different shape I really would like, God. I know. Remain soft, and I will get you to where you're supposed to be. The vine and the branches, which is what Jeff shared last week, you can't do anything without a connection to him. So what's happening to me? What's happening to you? Well, here's a diagram, and, you know, this is just a diagram. So if you try to make this like part of the Bible, that would be really unwise. Um, but I think it's a helpful diagram because, see, inside where things are coming from are inclinations, desires, thoughts, and attitudes. That's where the fireworks are happening. And what the Scripture says, we read it in Galatians, there are two natures inside you. All right? And you have the new God nature. That's the one that can hear God. That's the one that can respond to God. That's the one who, who can be empowered to be all-powerful and overpower everything else. And then there's the old sin nature. It's familiar. It has a track record. It has an identity called you. It knows what you like and what you don't like. I, I find it interesting. You're talking to Christians, and they became a Christian when they were 26. Then they start talking about the senior prom, and you watch their face. Oh, man, my senior prom was great. Yeah, one of my friends, and we got these three kegs, and, you know, we took this, this guy's mother's car, and, and we went out, we partied on the beach. We got crazy. It was an amazing night. And you go on and on, and you listen, and you go, is there something wrong here? But many of us think back, and how we remember it is how the sin nature has characterized it. The old sin nature is there. And so Satan, and, and so I want you to see, we have this fight already inside us, but we have to understand, we have an enemy on the outside that is fueling this fire. And then we have a God on the outside that is fueling life. This is you. This is me. This is who we are. And this is where the fight goes on, right here. Today I want to cover two other areas, unforgiveness and judgments. And because we're talking about stubborn sin, laziness and rebellion will keep you trapped. You're going to repeat the same cycles. They'll keep you trapped. Another one that keeps you trapped is unforgiveness and judgment against others. It's going to trap you in. And as long as you allow them to be there, they will have great power. They will have great power in your life. And in old school church, they called them besetting sins. That means one you keep doing even though you don't want to. Besetting sins. They have root causes. That's why when you, you know, say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I'm never going to do that again. And then you go right out and do it again. Some of us like within an hour. 
and you go, wow, God isn't very powerful. God isn't answering my prayer. Or, man, I'm hopeless. I'm even beyond God's ability to fix. Or God doesn't exist. Or, or, or. You know what all these are? This is the enemy beginning to challenge your truth. He's beginning to undermine the truth upon which you rested on when you said, forgive me, forgive my sins. So here's the reality. There is a root. There are roots to some of our sins, and the reason we don't get them out is we want sin to be easy, and sin is hard. Sin is the search. You know, when you, when you go in uh, and you have, you know, they think you might have cancer. They say, well, we're going to put you through this test because we're going to look through the rest of your body for cancer. Most of us would say, that's a good idea because if we're going to go after the cancer, I'd really like to make sure we got it all. You see, that test exists for sin. Are we looking for where it is? And all of a sudden they say, you know, we found cancer hiding here. We found cancer cells over here. And, and your thought is, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I've got cancer everywhere and, and, and who knew and how did this happen? And I'm really a lot sicker than I thought I was. But we never say that was sin. We never go, wow, I'm a lot sicker than I thought I was. I'm a sick dude. I am like sin sick everywhere. I got it in my leg, my arm, my elbow. It's a wonder I'm walking. You see, because in that place, we began to seek for a cure. But you see, it's the one who looks deep. It's the one who says, okay, if the truth is the truth, then there is freedom from sin. You got to hold on to that. If the truth is the truth, there's freedom from sin. I got into an interesting, not an argument, an interesting conversation, and it really was a conversation. I'm not just being nice because I get into arguments. And the, and the idea was, you know, but Bill, we're not perfect. I, I rebuke that statement. I hate that statement. It's, it's not even an answer to any of the questions. Here's the question. Can I overcome every single sin by the power of God? Or is there a sin that is greater than the power of God? That's the question. Is there a sin that is greater than the power of God? If there's not a sin greater than the power of God, and I have the power of God available to me, then you know what? I have the power over sin. And my pursuit of perfection is appropriate. It becomes appropriate. When I uh, do counseling, and it really doesn't matter, couples or individuals, um, and I, I really, you know, if... Um, if Melinda were to stand up and say, 
you know, I have problems in my marriage, Bill. Can you talk to me about it? Um, I'd say, sure. But I already know the punchline. There's sin. I, it's really the punchline most of the time. It's, it's some sin that is active in the relationship that is bringing destruction. That's what it is. Now, we may have to look for it. That usually doesn't take that long. But there's layers of sin. It can take a while to get to the sin under the sin under the sin. But in relationships, a lot of times, it is just built up on forgiveness. It's built up broken trust. Matthew 6, 15, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Isn't that a powerful statement? I mean, isn't that a, I mean, I could just, oh, so that's where you draw the line? It's not like murder or something. It's, it's like unforgiveness. But you see, unforgiveness is the very tool he uses to win the world. It is his signature. He wants us to know how important his signature is, to practice his signature, and recognize it's a lifeline for you and I. I need his forgiveness every day. And for me to withhold it from someone else is to deny the character of God, to deny the person of God. God puts a high price on unforgiveness, but we still do it. We read on Matthew 7. Starting in verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Puts more meat on the bones. Unforgiveness and judgment of others is a powerful, powerful place. And it carries a very high cost. These judgments can be old. For example, let's say if I had a, a father who was a very harsh disciplinarian, and I did not, by the way, um, brutal to me. And I grew up saying, I'll never be like my father. That's a judgment. Now, you might say, that sounds like a good judgment, Bill. It's still what it does, it says, I'm taking control of this part. That's under my jurisdiction, and that's the way it's going to be. And here's what happens. How am I going to make that happen? Well, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm never going to be like that, and I'm never going to have anybody do that to me again. So if a boss tries to correct me, if my wife tries to correct me, People I work with, I feel challenged. So anybody that has authority or sounds like or feels like they're taking authority, all that goes into play. Now I'm, I'm ready to hold, hold my ground. I'm ready to hold my ground. And that history comes alive, becomes powerful. And it takes control. It does exactly what I said it would do. 
And it's doing all this, and those are my efforts to protect me. But what they're doing is they're insulating me from God and his love. And it hurts my relationships with so many people. The fight against scripture is a fight to the death. I want us to look, this is out of the scripture. We already looked at three of these. Uh, We're just going to mention these. But the effects of sin, it deceives the heart. deceives the heart. If you want to walk with God, sin is a really bad tool to have in your life. To hear him, to discern him, to sense him, to feel him, sin begins to dismantle that immediately, and it continues to do it. You feel like, I don't hear God. He's not answering my prayers. He's this, he's that. How's your sin level? What kind of sin is there? See, If I ask that question, it's not to judge you. I'm asking you because is there something breaking your ability and it's bringing deception, bringing hardness of heart? We can't hear. We hear things wrong. It entangles us. Those are the three we've already looked at. But we didn't look at these yet. It creates victims. Sin will allow you to be a victim of someone else. God never created a victim. I mean, if we could say somebody was a victim in history, it would be Jesus. Innocently abused, tortured, and killed. He was a savior of the world, not a victim. Where he looked his weakest, that was his most powerful moment. That was his most glowing moment when all the heavens were pushed aside. Sin gives us guilt, and then it helps us deal with that guilt. It helps us medicate the guilt. Yeah, I'm giving you guilt, but I'm going to give you some things to help you with that. How about some drugs or some alcohol or some sex or something else? we got lots of things that we use to treat guilt with. Shame, same way. Lots of medication for shame. Of course, it brings more shame. But sin likes that. You become more entangled, more deceived, more hard-hearted, harder to hear. You see how it happens? It just keeps going. Guilt, shame. We begin to blame others. Blame the church. Blame God. begin to question the truth. It doesn't work. God doesn't help me. And finally, sin loves to give us entitlement. God owes you. The world owes you. Your boss owes you. Your spouse owes you. Your kids owe you. Nobody understands how awesome you are. Here's what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 1, 13. We'll start in verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, hear that language? If you think you're standing firm. If I were to ask people, hey, how many of us are standing firm this morning? It says, okay, you don't have to raise your hands on that. If you think you're standing firm, 
be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's another word, endurance. You see, does it say, you know, you're going to get some, win some, you're going to lose some. We're all sinners. No one's going to be perfect. It doesn't say that. It says, God has made a way for us to beat every sin. And when I got challenged on that, I said, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. And God is, trust me, helping me look inside a lot. I have control over this moment right here. I can't speak for the rest of my life, but I can speak for this moment, that I can stand guard over this moment. I can say yes to Jesus over this moment. I can say no to sin over this moment right here. I can ask God to fill me with his wisdom, to fill me with his character. I can say no. I can say no to sin right in this moment. This moment, I can, I can hold on to it. And maybe I can't be perfect, but it won't be because I wasn't pursuing it. Because it was laid out for me to take. That pursuit has been lost by the church. Jesus defeated the power of sin. And he extended that victory to us. And God can break the power within us to be deceived in our desires, our thoughts, our attitudes. God can do that. I want us to look at a few more verses here. Hebrews chapter 4. We're just going to briefly mention this. It talks about how the word can break the power of sin. How, how this process of getting the sin off of us, getting renewed in the Spirit, letting the Spirit have that clean shot with us, the sanitizing of the self, it begins to heal the spiritual receptors. We can hear God. We can feel God. And then renewing your mind. It does renew our mind. Our mind is no longer stuck. I can hear. I can feel. I can sense God. I want us to go to the last slide. Genesis 4, 6. This is God speaking. And this is after Cain and Abel had given their sacrifices to God. And Abel, it says, gave the best that he had to offer. And it says that Cain gave him some fruit. The best 
and, you know, some fruit and vegetables. Not the best of, just some fruit. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. There was a chance for Cain to go do a sacrifice differently. But instead, he's angry at his brother. And this is a great verse for Father's Day because this is God playing the father of Cain. He speaks to him. I'm going to add a couple of words. I'm going to add son. Son, why are you so angry? Isn't that a great sir? Son, why are you so angry? And then he tells Cain what's really going on. The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. See, God tells him what's really going on. Not about Abel. It's not about God. It's not even about sacrifices anymore. It is about the opportunity is there and sin is playing it. Sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to control you. So what does God say he has to do? But you must subdue it and be its master. You see, that is what the New Testament is trying to tell us about sin. It's crouching at your door. It's crouching at my door. We want to hear from God. We want to do amazing things for God. You want to believe that he's real, that he really will change the world. The people of God understand this right here. They understand it. They understand that sin is their enemy, and you cannot let it have anything, not an inch. You cannot let it have anything. And I feel like that's what God's been doing with me. I mean, every time I turn around, he's showing me something else, and you, and you think you would get tired of it. Like, okay, God, another thing, great. But the truth is, it's spurring me on. It's spurring me on. You know what? I'm becoming perfect. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's not by any power I have. He's just making it available to me. But I'm beginning to realize sin has been my greatest enemy, and it's, it's crouching with everyone, and yet the church never really talks about it including myself. I've never done a sermon on sin until two weeks ago. I have 25 years or so of speaking. I spoke at a church in, in Mexico about sin. They were uncomfortable. They were very uncomfortable. You could see it on their faces. Like, where's he going with this? 
and the, even the pastor at lunch the next day, the pastor was like, yeah, I was uncomfortable with it. I, well, maybe we need to get comfortable talking about the thing that's kicking our butts. Everybody. Maybe we need to get a little more comfortable. Because it's crouching at your door. And it wants to control you. It's crouching at my door. It wants to control me. My father is saying, you're going to have to master this. You're going to have to subdue it. Call on me. I will be there. And with me, you can win every time. With me, you can declare zero tolerance and go for it. If you would stand. <clears throat>